Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Today, Blues breeze past Burnley as Sterling socks it to Southgate. In the WSL, suggestions the ref was a wrong one, but Guro's a right one. We'll answer your questions and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Here we are again then, gang. All feels a bit different, doesn't it? Three wins in a row. It's me, Matt, joined by Simon and Liam today. Um, Vit Barter wants to know, can we call it a winning streak already? Simon, three games counts as a streak, doesn't it? Certainly in, in Chelsea 2023 to 2024 money. Yeah, and it's time to throw a party as well to commemorate. So um, during the international break, play the three wins back to back. Why not? Uh, Liam, you and I were both at Turf Moor on Saturday. We'll get to that shortly. But yeah, goals, wins. This is all very welcome. Goals, wins. Get that open top bus back to Eelbrook Common. (laughs) Big screens. It's been so long. Yeah, good fun at Turf Moor. Fun was had by a group of Chelsea players on a football pitch. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Well, as that bloody awful song that infected the World Cup last year implored, let's get down, let's get down to business. Palmer here to really wrap it up. Jackson, nicely done. That will do. Just gets better and better for Nico Jackson and for Chelsea. They were behind for a while in this match. There's been a few times that we've gone behind and, you know, we start the game well and then, you know, the game's kind of gone to pieces. But today we didn't let that happen. We didn't force things. And that shows, you know, a sign of maturity and, um, you know, a step in the right right direction. So pleased, so pleased for the player and they deserve all the great, massive effort and so happy. Uh, Three points, three points that help us to build our belief and confidence. Burnley won, Chelsea four then. Good old Burnley, ever generous hosts, aren't they? They went ahead but quickly remedied that by scoring an own goal and then Raheem Sterling took over. Just listen to the shock in Mr Toomey's voice after Chelsea actually looked like they were enjoying themselves. It's the first time they've had fun with their football that I can remember, to be honest. It's been such a bleak 18 months to two years. 
but they're a real rays of sunshine now. Nicholas Jackson getting another goal off the bench, showing really nice feet in the box and a calmness that he hasn't really had in the opening weeks of the season. And Chelsea now go into the international break with some momentum. You can say that it maybe comes at a bad time, but they have a more formidable run of games to close out October, heading towards the final two months of the year. But they can go into it now with, with real confidence uh, and with good feeling. There's a, there's a sense that things are turning under Pochettino. I said it was maybe the lemons. Maybe it's just the players and the quality finally clicking. And we enjoyed it as well, didn't we, Liam? First time Chelsea have scored four in a match in 18 months. How good were Chelsea and how much of this was down to Burnley's, what I would generously call naivety? There was certainly a bit of that. When you have a team that doesn't really have the talent to play out of defence at this level, but insist on doing it repeatedly with, with no seeming plan B, it made life a lot easier for Chelsea because Chelsea are set up to press and press very well. And, and they did do that. I saw one of the Chelsea Twitter accounts with a slightly more analytic focus was um, saying that Burnley usually average 14 passes per defensive action. So for the layman, that means they make 14 passes before they lose the ball on average. And in that game against Chelsea, they made seven. So that showed you it was a good indication of how effectively Chelsea pressed them. And there were just so many moments where they, they turned over the ball in really bad positions and Chelsea were able to attack a defence that wasn't set. And that was particularly the case in the second half once the game opened up, less so in the first half when Burnley had something to defend. But it it maybe wasn't the primary factor in Chelsea turning the game around after conceding first, but it was certainly a huge factor in Chelsea being able to run up the score in the way that they did in the second half. And really useful, Simon, for, for Maurizio Pochettino to see his team actually show the ability to come from behind and get a win. We've seen Chelsea concede the, the first goal plenty of times this season, but this is the first time they've managed to to reverse it and flip the game on its head. And, and great times to get the goal, right? Just before half-time and then just after again. And, and you could feel that the energy kind of being sucked out the stadium as far as the home supporters were concerned. Yeah, because when, um, when Bernie took the lead, you just thought, oh, here we go again. Chelsea was struggling to break them down, slow possession. It, it felt very much in the script of similar defeats or recent defeats. I then went on to uh, soccer base to sort of try and remind myself the last time Chelsea come from behind to win a game. And I was at that one, actually. It was uh, Conor Gallagher's ping into the top corner at Sellers Park. Where are you, Dom, when I need you? <laughs> and that was 12 months ago. You're not going to do very well in, in the Premier League if you can't come from behind to win matches. So I think that's a huge mental obstacle that they've overcome now, not only to go on this little winning streak, but to actually, away from home, 1-0 down, you're not playing great. Yes, it sort of turned on a bit of good fortune with the own goal, although Raheem Sterling sort of made his own luck there a little bit. And and then, yes, it was him that made the, the, the penalty too straight after half-time. And yeah, like you said, it... It did seem to suck the belief out of Burnley, who had lost their four previous home games. And I think there was that kind of here-we-go-again vibe coming uh, loud and clear out, out of the ground. But this is this is just this is just green shoots still. Uh, I think we all know 
the fixture list that awaits Chelsea is going to get a lot tougher. But at least they're going into, obviously, Arsenal up next. They're going into that with a bit of confidence. And not just among the players. I think the crowd will be a little bit more upbeat as well, which is just as important. So Mudrick didn't start, Liam. We knew he got that injury against Fulham. Raheem Sterling came in for him. Was this Sterling's best performance in a Chelsea shirt? Certainly up there. I thought he was really good in the first three games of the season as well, as we discussed on the on the pod, but although it wasn't validated by his personal goal assist return or the team's results, but here heavily involved in all four goals. It's quite a funny game to watch in that it was it was essentially two left backs roasting their opposing right backs on each team on opposite sides of the pitch because Mark Kukurea could not deal with Wilson Odebert at all. Uh, and that was that was pretty painful to watch. And if Chelsea had had the ball a bit less, it would have been a massive issue, I think. But at the other end, Vitinho could not deal with Raheem Sterling at all. Every single time he wanted to get to the line, he got there with no resistance. And it, it wasn't a, a surprise to me that Oh, well, I mean, that's where the equaliser came from. Yes, it was lucky the way it looped up off the defender and over James Trafford, but it came from Sterling being able to get to the byline whenever he wanted. And then the second goal, virtually identical situation, but he baits Fatinho into a terrible tackle. And it's just one of the clearest penalties you'll see get given all season, apart from VAR obviously having to check whether it was in the box or not. But yeah, he he made all the difference. And then when the game opened up, he was even more devastating. Uh, he took his chance brilliantly. And in, and the fourth goal was again him him racing down the left and, and putting in the cross, which ultimately ended up with, with Cole Palmer finding Nicholas Jackson. So he, he feels like he's back to, he's certainly back to his best level. He really bent the game to his will in the way that you expect top Premier League attackers to do. And he adds some real seasoned experience to this otherwise very youthful attacking line, which I think is very important. Was it in an interview with you, Matt, post-match, that he talked about playing in his favourite position on the left-hand side? So here's another decision going forward for Pochettino to make, because, of course, Madrid has started to show positive signs you got Sterling wants to play on the left. What do you do? Because off the back of that performance, do you really switch Raheem Sterling back to the right-hand side to cater for Mudrick? And of course, Mudrick is going to come under a huge amount of scrutiny if he does start against Arsenal. You can, you can already hear the, the Arsenal fans giving him pelters every time he, he goes near the ball. So, yeah, that's a selection... A good selection dilemma for a change. I don't think Sterling's going back to the right because I don't think Cole Palmer's coming out of this team anytime soon. Uh, he he was the subject of my match piece from, from Turf Moor and he's looked really, really good in his first three Chelsea starts. So it's not a coincidence that they've they've been three wins on the bounce. Pochettino made a reference to him being the one to link link between the lines and having the intelligence and the understanding to do that in an interview, I think, with uh, BBC Match of the Day after the game. And you could really see it. Sterling thrived partly because 
Palmer was was picking the right moments to drift in from the right hand side, receive the ball, and, and move it out onto him quickly, so that he had one v one situations. And in addition to that, what he offers on the ball, he's such an intelligent presser. He does a lot of peppy things, Matt. He does a lot of Pep Guardiola things. And he makes good decisions when he's got the ball at his feet, but he cuts off passing lanes. He forces defenders into uncomfortable decisions. And maybe that's a bit easier to do when it's Burnley. But we, I think we've seen evidence of it against Brighton and, and Fulham as well. And when you've got an attacking unit, a pressing unit that features him, Connor Gallagher, who just seems to be able to go up to anyone and take the ball off them whenever he wants. It's like a, a, a really weird superpower. Breuer and Jackson are both good pressers and Sterling's always been a responsible presser. That's a really tough unit to play through and it gives Chelsea a really good foundation when they don't have the ball. Would you like to hear the Cole Palmer chant that I made up this morning? Oh, please. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so my thing was, I noticed that there weren't many chants for current players at the game. I think Thiago Silva and Conor Gallagher are the only two of this squad who've got regular chants. Um, now, Liam and Simon, you've both got young children, so you'll know the nursery rhyme, Old King Cole, I'm sure. Uh, try this on for size. Old King Cole was a merry old soul and a merry old soul was he. He plays on the left and he plays on the right and he plays in the middle of a three. Now every dribbler loves a fine dribble and a very fine dribble is he. There's none so rare as can compare and we've pinched him from City. Oi! It's quite sharp. I, I, liked your, I liked your syllable management. Scanned very quickly. Yeah. I mean, are we sure that after multiple pints, Chelsea fans are going to be dexterous enough to know all the words of that? Bit of a tongue twist to that one. Okay, well get in touch with us at SO Cobham Pod on Twitter uh, if you can do any better than that. That's what Zala88 did. Asked, was Palmer taking the penalty decision made at that moment or something that had been discussed in training? Um, these things are usually sorted out beforehand, aren't they? But Simon, that, that showed to me that this is a kid with confidence. I mean, particularly given that there was a VAR check, which was a long time. He was in front of the Chelsea fans, which adds a little bit of pressure on, I think. He'd never have known it the way he just swiped it into the opposite corner from where the goalkeeper had died. Yeah, and... Um... Trafford knows him very well too from the England under 21. So, yeah, he took it great. Didn't surprise me that he scored though because he's carried that swagger, as Liam's already sort of talked about, into the Chelsea dressing room almost. It's sort of um, maybe hanging around all those Manchester City uh, title winners has rubbed off on him as limited a, a part as he's played in in City success. But he, he carries that, that know-how that belief of winning games on a regular basis. He's not playing with fear. I mean, I, I obviously wasn't at Burnley, but I was at Fulham. And the guy just sort of seems to have time. And he's one of those players that just seems to have a bit more time, seems to know sort of what he's going to do before he gets the ball. And certainly before the defender knows what he's going to do with the ball. So it's been a very encouraging start, but... I'm going to flip it around. I don't want to be the, the too much of a doom monger, but let's see how he does against Arsenal and so on. Uh, Man City's coming up, Newcastle, Tottenham. You know, th these will be the real tests of where this team's at. But Chelsea are in a much better position, uh, confidence-wise and belief-wise, than they were a couple of weeks ago. And, and I'm sure they're relishing the, the prospect of taking on the big boys. Because if they do go on a good run in these games... And suddenly, 
Chelsea are right in the sort of European mix, which um, who would have thought that? I mean, it already felt for a brief, can I just say for about until Sponny Scott McTominay turned up at Old Trafford, <laughs> Chelsea were going to cement their, their spot in the top 10. And it, it, it looked really weird. <laughs> it's just like, wow, Chelsea in the top half of the table. But yeah, they're, they're, they've closed the gap a little bit these couple of wins. And um, yeah, suddenly it's not so miserable as it has been. <laughs> um, let's get to some Twitter questions. Here's Cuddly Whiskers asking, is Unkunku an automatic starter when he's fit? Potch has invested a lot of trust in Gallagher. Sterling, one of the most senior players in the squad. And Palmer increasingly looking like a shrewd purchase. Would he rotate with Jackson as a nine. I guess the key thing is, Liam, that when Chelsea have everybody or even some more people fit, there is genuine depth to this Chelsea squad, particularly in those front areas. Yeah, I mean, we know Nkunku was more than an automatic starter in pre-season. I think he was he was the person that Chelsea's attack was being built around. But this is this is what happens with injuries. And this is why bad luck can play sometimes a massive role in in players' careers and how they fare at clubs because you can be out of the team for three or four months and you come back to a different team that has found a different way of playing. Having said that, I do think Nkunku will be important to this team because I think all the signs are he's a very, very good player and he adds a lot of things they really need. But if, and and we're still a fair way from it because I don't think Nkunku's close to coming back, if Sterling... Mudrick and Palmer are all playing at a really high level and maybe we see more from Madueki as well. Chukwameka coming back in the in the number 10 position. He was back on the bench at Burnley. There is real competition. And in the last three games, we've seen Jackson and Breuer find the net. So it, it suddenly, from being like a just a, a barren hellscape in Chelsea's attack, it's a, a considerably healthier picture in terms of the way players are performing. That will fluctuate. We know that as as the games come and go. And if we've learned nothing else from the past 18 months, there will be injuries. But yeah, I think it, Nkunku will come back to a different situation, most likely to the one he left when he, when he got injured in the US. Well, yeah, hopefully Chelsea will keep winning games and that will lessen the need to kind of rush him back or expect him to, to hit the ground running. Liam mentions Madueke there, Simon. Steph's been in touch to ask if there is a nonny problem. Is, is he just a victim of, of the form of Mudrick and now Sterling? And, and obviously there was that incident that, that saw him left out the squad for, for the Brighton game. He's just playing catch-up because others are in better form than him. Am I right to assume that? Well, I, I think firstly, to sort of repeat kind of what Liam's has said, careers can depend on fortune. And Madueke got injured for pre-season after appearing in the under-21s victory at the Euros. Um, so he didn't really have a pre-season with Pochettino. So you're already behind the eight ball. He, he then suffered another injury. When asked about the recent social media clip of, of him in a club, Pochettino did say he's had words with him, which if he's admitting that to us, then you can imagine the words were of a fairly stern nature to in, in, in person. And then who were he playing instead of right now, given the last few weeks? Um, he, he must be concerned of Cole Palmer's form, as, as, as Liam's touched upon. He, he's playing on the right at the moment. It's a shame because when, when I watched him 
albeit only on a string, the under-21s in the last international break, you could see that Madweki and Cole Palmer have an understanding. It's going to be very, very difficult for, for Madweki to be picked at the moment ahead of guys that are, that are playing well. Perhaps the Blackburn game in the League Cup is, is his next opportunity. Of course, it was the League Cup against AFC Wimbledon in the second round that he that he got, I think, his only start so far under Pochettino. But um, I think there is a, a bit of convincing that he has to do with Pochettino. I, I have asked around whether there's any anything from the Spurs time, because, of course, Madweki was at, at Tottenham when Pochettino was. But he was very early in his career, so I don't think their paths crossed too much for obvious reasons. But um, I would say the form of the other players is his biggest problem right now. All right, so it's a hey, nonny, no more nightclubbing. Andrew asks, does this squad need any January signings, assuming we don't have 10 injuries in the second half of the season? All the data plus the eye test points to as being good enough for the top five, so why not focus on stability and wait for James and Kunku Chilwell and Lavia? Um, it's a good point, isn't it, Liam? I mean, it, it, there's not much more surgery that, that needs to be done, so long as the surgery that needs to be done on players is successful. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I do think they kind of need to see what they have still. You know, Pochettino is, is finding out what this current fit group can do slowly over a period of weeks, but there are lots of players still to add into it that we haven't seen yet and we haven't seen what that does to the whole. I think until you see, quote-unquote, Chelsea's strongest eleven, whatever that is, it's hard to know really what the upgrade should be because they have a lot of potential in all positions. They have a lot of players who could be Premier League stars in, in their roles, but they're not they're not quite there yet because of where they are and where the team is. So I was a bit surprised to see Pochettino say quite forcefully, I'm already working on what we need for January when in the summer, his main message seemed to be, I don't want any more players. <laughs> this squad's already on the bigger side. I don't I don't want any more. And there, there's already been a lot of pretty credible talk that Chelsea are looking quite closely at striker options, in particular for January. And I, I just think, I wrote about this recently, it's probably the decision w- that will define their January, whether they go in for a number nine or not, because Ossiman is potentially there. Tony is potentially there. But I don't see how they can reliably know exactly what they have with Nicholas Jackson, with Armando Breuer and with Christopher Nkunku in the Premier League yet because you've just seen so little of them individually and collectively. So I think these next couple of months are going to be crucial. And I think the the recruitment team will be watching these games and the way players are performing in matches and in training as closely as Pochettino will. I just think if they striker seems to be the the only position. they certainly don't need another midfielder, do they? I think we can safely rule that one out. Maybe another number eight, Simon. <laughs> another box to box. But I'm sort of thinking if they, I was just sort of thinking out loud, if they do sign an expensive centre forward, then surely that's Armando Broya being sold. I can't see how for his career why he would then stick around because suddenly you've got Nicholas Jackson plus this expensive centre forward 
Nkunku will be back. Where's his game time? So I'm a little bit, you know, it's not like I've been told anything or, but given Chelsea's uh, willingness or acceptance to sell off academy players to help make ends meet, it would make me concerned about Broyer's long-term future at Chelsea Football Club. But anyway, we'll see. They might they might not sign any centre-forward. Broyer might go on and score hatfuls of goals before the new year and, and they'll decide, well, and Jackson, and, and they'll decide no need. It would be nice, just, just for actually our benefit as well, and talk about Liam and myself, well, it's a peaceful transfer window. We, we've <laughs> had enough, had enough, uh, enough fun and games over the last three windows, which normally would be the stretch of a, uh, the amount of signings over a decade, and and we've had them in the um, space of three windows to cover. So it would be nice to have a quieter one. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. I guess if Osiman is available and, and can be done, that would be one to think about. But yeah, Ivan Tony, having not played since the 6th of May, not for me. Uh, before we move on from the men's team, uh, here's Scuba Steve Liam, who says three wins on the bounce, albeit against competition, we'd expect to beat a flash in the pan due to the level of competition or are the underlying stats we've been pointing to actually start to come to fruition? What do you think? And, and are we still finding October quite triggering after what happened last season when we thought the worm had turned and it turned out it absolutely had not? The gall of the words expect to beat after the last <laughs> 18 months. I've had no idea how to calibrate my expectations of, of who Chelsea should be beating. So it's quite refreshing to see them actually beat teams that they are at least favoured in by the betting. So I do think there's a large element of these underlying metrics uh, being borne out finally in the scorelines. Chelsea have been doing a lot of things right and just not quite putting it together where it matters most. And against Burnley, they massively overperformed their XG. Uh, I think their their XG was around two. (laughs) They scored four goals. So they were finally clinical with their chances and maybe that's a sign of things to come. There will be, it will fluctuate a bit from game to game, but they have so consistently underperformed what they create uh, that you would have to think it will get better. I think that that goal that Nicholas Jackson scored off the bench in particular should really help his confidence. It was really nice footwork in the box and a nice finish. Breuer has at least got off the mark maybe earlier than anyone would have anticipated after his ACL recovery. So having two strikers who are off the mark really, really helps. And and I think Mudrick's goal against Fulham as well, particularly the way he took that, should do him the world of good. So they, they have a lot of different players who, who are feeling a lot better about themselves. And when you add that onto the way they've already been moving the ball around and moving opponents around through midfield yeah they're in a good place I think to to be a bit better all right we're in a good place three wins in a row the sun is shining all is well Uh uh-oh buzzkill here comes the international break uh luckily for us we've got the winningest women's team to wander over did they win on Sunday um no it's complicated though more next This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another yellows for Alex Greenwood and she's already been booked and the Manchester City captain is sent off. Remarkable. Corner delivered in. Oh, what a save by Keating. Can Chelsea smuggle it in? Yes, they can. Gura right in with the equaliser. And Manchester City hearts are broken. Is that what a match? What a title race we're going to have this season. Really slow start by us, conceded early. Something we absolutely worked hard to not do. So disappointed with our start in the game. But I thought we grew into the first half. Uh, didn't concede too much from them. I thought the crowd did give them momentum, then there's the red card, then it changes, it's 11 v 10 game, so it's an attack transition game. Then they went 11 v 9, it's even more attack transition and their fans, I thought, did well. Uh, didn't think for us there was enough quality in the final third. Uh, just it's this execution, the cross, whether it was the decision making, whether it was the movements. I thought sometimes when you play against less players, you just assume it's, it's going to be easier and most more often than not in football, it works in the opposite way. So and I, I'm grateful for the goal at the end. Yes, we hit the bar a couple of times. Yes, we hit the post. But all round, I think it's hard to judge because it was a, you know, a very difficult game to coach when the opponent are just putting ten bodies behind the ball. The men's Premier League. Our officials are clueless dunces. The WSL. Hold our unnecessary cards. Uh, that's an obtuse way of leading us into some chat about Chelsea's 1-1 draw with Manchester City at the Minihad on Sunday. Emma Hayes grateful to Guro Wrighton for plundering a late leveller against the nine players of City after Alex Greenwood and Lauren Hemp both got sent off in um, curious circumstances. We'll talk about the, the Greenwood red card because it might be the stupidest thing I've ever seen on a football pitch. After a rightful yellow for a poor tackle, she gets a second yellow for time-wasting at a free kick, but A, it didn't look like she was really doing that. B, it was the 38th minute of the game. And C, the referee, Emily Heaslip, was actually in the way of the player she wanted to pass to. Um, Simon, this is one of those that, that if it was Chelsea, our blood would be boiling. Can you offer any explanation as to why this happens? I know they've been clamping down on this sort of thing, but you don't time-waste in the 38th minute of a game. Well, unless you're Stoke, sorry. Uh, yeah, or, or Tony Pulis, yeah. 
Well, I was going to say, in fairness, I've seen a lot of teams do that. <laughs> All managed by Tony Pulis? Well, yeah. Oh, imagine. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's prolific. <laughs> no, but it's clearly the mandate, but with no common sense. No sort of, I'll oh, just dish out a warning. Just go, look, come on, get on with it. You know, oh, is this really a, a sort of put them down to 10th scenario or just have a... Yeah, having a sort of, um, it almost felt like a Gary Lineker to uh, to Camry in Italia 90 for your older listeners. You know, have a word rather than issue another yellow card. But, you know, fair play to Man City. They still made life really difficult for Chelsea. And they had another yellow card, um, double yellow card later on. The mad thing is as well, is that when you sort of see in, in, in the men's game over the weekend, some of the red cards that weren't given, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still Kovacic. Just you know, Chelsea. We can talk about Kovacic on this podcast for obvious reasons. It's one of the most mystifying non-red cards first time around, let alone the, the the second yellow that he somehow avoided. But yeah, I just think common sense was was sadly lacking in the, in the women's game. But Chelsea sort of were the beneficiaries, although they had to wait until the 96th minute to capitalise on on playing against nine. Well, that's what struck me, you know, linking to Kovacic, as Simon did. What you almost always see in these big showpiece games is that the threshold to get sent off goes up because the referee does not want to be the story and they want to keep it 11 v 11 for as long as possible to a fault a lot of the time. Like Kovacic was a classic example of that. He should have been sent off and... Ironically, if that game had ended nil-nil, as it would have done in in most cases, the referee would have been the story because he didn't send Kovacic off. And then on the flip side, you have this complete nonsense reason to give someone a a second yellow card in the 38th minute. As Simon said, I've, I've seen teams waste time from the 20th minute onwards at Stamford Bridge, but usually the referee gives them leeway in the first half. It's it's almost not treated as a bookable offence until the second half. That's when people accept that time-wasting happens. I think it was the Aston Villa game recently where Martinez, the Villa goalkeeper, was wasting time from minute one, it felt like, and he only got a yellow card. I think in injury time. Yeah. <laughs> it was extraordinary. You just go and and basically you went. Well, what's the point of that referee? Like you've waited until it's all is meaningless to punish him for what was a very obvious tactic. I mean, everyone does it. I mean, Chelsea men and women's team will do it. But it, what was it? Twenty twenty six seconds as well. It wasn't like a ridiculous amount of time. I didn't think. Yeah, weird. But you know, Chelsea were the beneficiaries, so. Perhaps, you know, we should just uh, enjoy that fact. But Man City, rightfully, were absolutely fuming. You know, the coach classically sort of uh, going, well, let's let's see if that same policies apply to all the other games. Because it's all about consistency. If, if other people get shown yellow cards for wasting time for 26 seconds in the 38th minute, whilst the referee is, is marking one, one of the players very closely, then, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so prior to that, City had gone ahead through Chloe Kelly. People 
waxing lyrical about the goal. But here's the Athletics' Michael Cox speaking. Here's and my truth. Uh, he tweeted, sorry, but a deflected goal cannot be nominated for the Goal of the Year award. Come on, face up to the hashtag disappointing deflection. Um, it took until six minutes into stoppage time, Liam, for Guro Wrighton to get the equaliser. You're a big fan of the nifty Norwegian, right? And she, she showed her value again here. She comes up with big goals and big games, big contributions when this team needs it. And that, I think she's really immersed as a leader. And when I say that, I think this squad has a lot of leaders, a lot of strong personalities, but she seems to have really grown in her time at the club. And yeah, I mean, it, it might have been her most important goal so far in terms of what it does into the WSL table. I know it's I know it's early, but these head-to-head games are really important. And it maintains Chelsea's position of having an early season edge on Arsenal and being level with City and United, who they were classed as their, their two other closest rivals. So I think they, they come out of these two games, Spurs to start the campaign and, and now City, not perfect performances by any stretch, but the results, I think, are perfectly acceptable for what they want to achieve. And I think they, they'll probably feel like they're in a good position now to attack the rest of the season and try and open up a little bit of a gap on the others. Just wanted to add, because I sat in on um, Emma Hayes' press conference on on Friday and given the disruption, understandable disruption of the preparation. So Emma Hayes, in case you didn't know, she she lost her father um, recently and and the funeral was on the Thursday and, and she actually admitted that at training on Friday she was just a, a just a shell she she wasn't really there she was she was understandably totally flat and I think she she sort of enjoyed the fact that if that's the right word sort of being back at work something to take her mind off it but you could tell like the moment she started talking about it she started getting emotional as you would so not ideal preparation for a very very tough game so I think Chelsea coming away with with a point albeit not the most convincing one under the circumstances was a positive and 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 hopefully Emma can now obviously have a few more days to to grieve yeah absolutely um decent result as we say for Chelsea particularly given that Arsenal and United drew on Friday. Um, Steph asked why Sioka Nuskin didn't play. I'm going to go ahead and assume that was because Emma wanted to get Erin Cuthbert in the team for her experience in this kind of fixture. That was a 200th appearance for Chelsea. So congratulations to Erin for that. The women's team next in action on Saturday. They welcome West Ham to Kings Meadow. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-21s had a thumping great win at Colchester in the Premier League Cup on Friday. An own goal and strikes from Jimmy J. Morgan, a Tyreek George brace and a late Danelle McNeely goal helped them to a 5-2 win. And a lovely old weekend for Chelsea Football Club. Also saw the under-18s win 2-0 at Brighton. They didn't even sign anybody after the game, if you can believe such a thing. Right, that's just about going to do us for today. Let's hear what the chaps have got planned, though. Liam, how's that long read on how Ellison's uh, cornered the football corporate hospitality coach market coming? We're still trying to uh, get people to talk on the record. It's an, We know it's an extremely <laughs> sensitive story, so uh, you know, having to handle our sources with kid gloves on that one. Um, in the meantime, I will be writing this week on Chelsea's midfield balance. 
the midfield that seems to have clicked in the last two games in particular against Fulham and Burnley with Enzo, Caicedo and, and Conor Gallagher buzzing around them. Uh, it, it looks like they complement each other really well. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and find ways to show that. Yeah, and do have a look at uh, Liam's piece on Cole Palmer as well. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, Simon, you got anything on the agenda before you get a couple of well-deserved days off? Uh, possibly. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> between me and Dom, we've yet to decide if if, um, if what I've been working on is going to get used. It's the story of my life, really, or whether we dragged to the trash can to be uh, forgotten forevermore. But, but yeah, ideally I will file something before I disappear because um otherwise Don will tell me off. Well look the Ellison's thing is always available. If you need somebody to talk on it, I'm more than happy to do so. Uh right, that's gonna do us for today though. No show on Thursday. We're having a little pause for the international break. So we will be back on Thursday the nineteenth of October and then we will be building up to that massive game against Arsenal at Stamford Bridge to come. Looking forward to that. Join us for that if you can. Enjoy the international break if you can. Uh, For now, though, many thanks to Lucy, to Simon and to Liam for their company today and to you, mainly, listener. If you want to give us a nice review on iTunes, Spotify or whatever, that would be very helpful too. All right. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. The Athletic.